Hello everyone, welcome to an episode of Mediascope Brief. I hope you're having a great day or evening thus far. I know I am. Let's get to some news, media news in this case. YouTube has human moderators, and what's happening is they're going to see limited four-hour shifts to preserve their sanity. YouTube CEO Susan Wojcicki announced yesterday that the company is taking precautions to limit the amount of disturbing content that their human moderators must police every day. The new policy arrives, as YouTube said, is in, it intends to have 10,000 human moderators working to purge inappropriate videos in 2018. So YouTube is going to limit moderators to four hours of disturbing videos daily as a means of preserving their mental health, Wojcicki said at South by Southwest. She said, this is a real issue, and I myself have spent a lot of time looking at this content over the past year. Wojcicki added that Google would also provide content moderators who are generally part-time contract workers with wellness benefits, though she didn't elaborate on what these benefits may entail. While the glut of inappropriate videos containing sex violence, extremist language, and toilet humor targeting children is primarily regulated by machines, YouTube has increasingly looked to humans to better improve its algorithms and to ensure that nothing slips through the cracks. 400 hours of content are uploaded to the site every minute, so this is no easy task. Last year, Wired reported that the tenuous nature of being employed as a YouTube content moderator, including poor communication with Google, a lack of job security, and tough working conditions were all something that were a reality. Earlier this month, YouTube said that some newly tapped moderators had misinterpreted their policies and mistake were mistakenly punished or they mistakenly punished some far-right and pro-gun creators. Affected creators and channels were promptly restored. Okay, well, I can only imagine that this is a job that is very tedious and tenuous. Watching all of that inappropriate content for hours at a time, I'm sure that takes a toll on your sanity and your health. So this is an interesting move by Google. We'll see, uh, Google slash YouTube, we'll see what happens. Okay, cheers. Welcome back all. Have you ever wanted to try one of these meal kits because you wanted to cook it fresh yourself but not have to assemble all the ingredients? Well, there are several meal kits that do that but you have to subscribe, which is why I'm personally like, no thank you. However, Blue Apron is now going to hawk its meal kits in actual stores, so this means you won't be forced to subscribe. Blue Apron is now going to sell their meal products in real life, or IRL, following a sales slump and major stock price woes. They're now rethinking their subscription-only model, according to Eater and the Wall Street Journal. Both full kits, which contain multiple meals and a la carte cooking kits, could be available on store shelves by the end of this year. The big trouble for Blue Apron began last summer when Amazon announced that it was acquiring Whole Foods, and this struck fear to the hearts and minds of grocery and food retailers everywhere. <laughs> the meal kit company's subsequent IPO debuted at a lower price than anticipated, and since then its stock price has declined by 75%. And they also note that their subscriber base has declined by more than 250,000 customers since last year. 
This move follows last week's news that retail behemoth Walmart will begin selling its own brand of meal kits in stores. Remember, we talked about that. It began stocking third-party meal kits last fall. The store brand kits are currently available in 250 Walmart stores with plans to have them in 2,000 stores by the end of the year. Other grocers, including Kroger, offer meal kits in-store, and Amazon began selling its own meal kits via Amazon Fresh last year, none of which requires subscription. Blue Apron subscriptions cost approximately $60 a week for three meals for two people, or around $10 per serving. According to the Wall Street Journal, Blue Apron hasn't revealed how much it intends to charge for the individual kits or which retailers will stock them, but perhaps Blue Apron can reel in some potential impulse buyers by getting its meal kits in front of new shoppers who would never consider an online subscription. And those people who don't want to assemble all of the ingredients to cook, but would like to cook. Or at least they'll get the occasional millennial who are like, hey, come over for dinner. I'm cooking. Blue Apron. What do you think about that? Are you a Blue Apron subscriber? If so, how do you like it? Do you subscribe to another meal kit? Would it be more palatable for you to scrap the subscription and be able to buy in stores? Or do you just buy your damn vegetables and meat and fish on your own and cook it? Just let me know. Cheers. Hey, welcome back, everyone. It's time for another Mediascope Brief, and this time I want to talk about Apple. Now, they are starting to focus a little bit more on education and technology and education than they were before, and they've announced an event on March 27th that's going to focus on creative new ideas for teachers and students, according to The Verge, and an invitation that went out. There's not a lot to go by in terms of hints from the invitation. They just have a stylized Apple logo and the phrase, let's take a field trip, which of course fits in with the education theme. But it's been rumored that Apple has been working on cheaper MacBooks and iPads, which would make sense given this event's context. And interestingly enough, it's not going to be held in their brand spanking new Apple Park campus in Cupertino, California, but at a high school in Chicago. Yes. Chicago's Board of Education recently added computer science as a graduation requirement for all public schools in the city, making it a fitting pairing for an Apple event. Reports from Digitimes and reliable KGI securities analyst Ming-Cho Kao both claim that Apple is finally planning to release a successor to the MacBook Air, which Apple still sells an outdated model of as an entry level. At $1,000, $999, but that's $1,000. So uh, the new computer is rumored to be a 13.3-inch entry-level MacBook with a 2560 times 1600 resolution retina display. That's pretty good. And it's also said to be priced somewhere in the $799 to $899 range, making it perfect for students. I don't know which students it makes it perfect for, but... It's an attempt at least. So we're talking about $800 or $900 as opposed to the $1,000. Apple has also been working to transition the iPad into a classroom tool for educators for the past several years, with recent rumors claiming that the company could release an entry-level 9.7-inch iPad priced around $259, which is cheaper than the current $329 model. Additionally, 
If you read Apple's invitations often, it's easy to see how the company could be hinting at something related to the iPad or Apple Pencil with this seemingly hand-drawn Apple logo that's on the invitation. Very interesting. A lot there, and I would love to know your thoughts on this. Now, when they say that $7.99 and $8.99 is perfect for students, that does not mean affordable for all students. So I don't know if they're talking about the neighborhood or of Hyde Park in Chicago or the suburban urban area of Hyde Park, or they're actually talking about the inner city schools. They said city, uh, city of Chicago schools, but I don't know. That's pretty expensive. And when you have cheaper computers that are PC based that can compete with that, I don't know how they're going to manage that, but it will be interesting to see what happens. So I want to know from you what you think about this story. Feel free to go ahead and drop me a line on Anchor. You could also drop me a line at at Tatiana if you are off of Anchor or off of one of these uh, audio apps. Okay, I'll be back. Cheers. There, ready for some more media tech and pop culture news? Let's do it. Then let's talk about Lyft. Lyft, the ride-sharing app Lyft, is testing monthly subscription plans for high-frequency users, a sign that the company is shifting towards a Netflix or Spotify model for transportation. The terms of the subscription model seem to vary, but they appear to be targeted at users who spend up to $450 on ride-hailing a month. That's a lot of money. One all-access pass offers up to 30 standard lift rides for $199 a month, another priced at $300, and another at $399 for 60 rides. Individual rides up to $15 were covered under the all-access pass. It wasn't immediately clear how users would be charged for rides that exceed $15, though. Lyft CEO Logan Green mentioned these subscription plans were in the future of his company during a press event Wednesday two days ago, to announce a partnership with auto parts producer Magna to build self-driving cars. He said, we are going to move the entire industry from one based on ownership to one based on subscription. Hmm, very cool. So according to Green, a subscription to Lyft could cost something along the lines of $200, which gets you 1,000 miles of traveling around. You rely on the Lyft network for all of your transportation needs, they say. Uber tested its own subscription service in a number of cities in 2016, but it's unclear as to whether or not that experiment worked or even went anywhere. Lyft often fancies itself a think tank with big ideas and the future of transportation at hand. Green and Lyft's president, John Zimmer, has um, released policy papers predicting the end of the personal car ownership days in major cities by 2025 and calling for more people to carpool by charging a fee to those who don't. Recently, they advocated for American households to sell their second cars as a way to reduce traffic congestion and carbon emissions. Of course, all of these high-minded policy prescriptions also include the unspoken recommendation to spend more money on lift rides, of course. So they're not doing it. (laughs) to be nice. They're doing it because they're going to make more money with Lyft. And then you have to look and see, is that really cost effective for you not to have a car? There are certain cities where you can't not have a car, even if they're major cities. Like I'm in Fort Lauderdale, which is a major city. The bus system here is abysmal. And we do have ride sharing, of course, like Uber, Lyft, etc. But to get around to all the the areas you need to from like West Palm Beach to down to Miami, that is like a $50 ride. So 
Yeah, it's interesting to see. I guess you'd have to add it up and see whether or not it was worth it. But let me know what you think about that. A subscription service to Lyft or Uber for that matter. Would you do it? Would you get rid of your car and just keep a subscription? You know what? For me, if I could do it, I wouldn't mind. If it was inexpensive enough, I would not mind because I'd love to have a driver. (laughs) Okay, let me know what you think. Cheers. Okay, so our next story is about Google and how they're adding wheelchair accessible routes to Google Maps, a move which is much needed. In a move that will help millions of urban dwellers, Google Maps announced this morning that they're adding routing for wheelchair users, people with mobility issues, and parents with strollers. Now, users can find navigation routes that are free from stairs or with elevators. For public transportation users, being directed to stations without an elevator is a common problem. And this is interesting because I actually know quite a few people who wanted to move to New York who do have problems with mobility and they said, well, is it accessible? I was like, "Eh, somewhat. So this is a really helpful in some way thing. To access the feature, all you have to do is search for directions the way you normally would, and then under options, check off wheelchair accessible. The feature is only available in London, New York, Tokyo, Mexico City, Boston, and Sydney right now, but should expand down the line. The accessibility info was cobbled together from users submitting Google's local guide service. And in addition, Google says it's been working on photographing public transit hubs for users to browse on Google Street View according to Select All so that they can see for themselves how accessible facilities are and how to navigate them. Okay, that's the story. Google's trying to get more wheelchair accessible and mobility accessible. Okay, cheers. a little bit about movies in this next Mediascope Brief. So hopefully you know Ava DuVernay. She's directed Selma. She's just directed Wrinkle in Time. And she is a powerhouse director. She is one of my inspirations. In any case, she has just been tapped to direct DC Comics movie The New Gods. This is going to be her second $100 million plus film right on the heels of Wrinkle in Time's release. This is awesome. She's closing in on this deal to direct Warner Brothers film adaptation of this movie for WB's DC Extended Universe. So again, this is going to be her second $100 million plus budget movie, the first being Wrinkle. The studio is set to find a writer soon to work with DuVernay on the script. And if you remember correctly, back last year when she asked, when asked who her favorite superhero was, she responded on Twitter that it was Big Barda, one of the new gods. So the new gods would be uh, the second DC superhero franchise directed by a woman following Patty Jenkins with Wonder Woman. DuVernay would be the second woman of color to direct a major superhero film with Gina Price Bythewood being the first as she's set to direct the Sony Marvel Spider-Man universe film Silver and Black. Created by the comic, iconic comic book artist Jack Kirby himself, the first New Gods comic was released in 1971. The most recent release was in 2011. So the New Gods universe is one that separately exists from the rest of the DC world. This is really amazing. I don't know why it took 
Hollywood and comics, etc., so long to know that women are amazing, that black women are amazing directors, and we have a point of view that is uniquely different from other points of view. And that goes for any director. As a director, you're gonna you're gonna bring your culture, you're going to bring your points of view, and this is what black women bring to the uh, to the game. And so I'm very happy for my idol, Ava DuVernay. Yeah, let me know what you think about that. Are you a New Gods fan? Are you a DC Comics fan? Are you a Marvel Comics fan? Are you just a comics fan? How about that? Let me know what you think about this and if you're looking forward to seeing this New Gods adaptation. Okay, cheers. Hey there, this is Tachi. If you don't know who I am, I'm a media professor, a filmmaker, a media content producer, and a journalist. And I do Mediascope every Wednesday on Facebook Live and Periscope. And of course, I do Instagram Live right before that at 5 p.m. Eastern Time. Not that this was a commercial for that, but I wanted to let you know that if you're looking for me in other places, those are places you can find me. In addition, you can listen to this on iTunes and Google Play and Pocket uh, Pocket Podcasts and uh, some other places. This is available as well. So I'm hoping that you're enjoying listening to the, all the media tech and pop culture news and feel free to drop me a line. If you're on Anchor, you could obviously message me back on Anchor, but if not, you can reach me on Twitter at Tachiata, at T-A-C-H-I-A-D-A. Would love to hear from you if you have some ideas or just want to go back and forth about some of the story things. All right, cheers. Cheers.